there's a verse of scripture that's been on my mind over the past week or so. I even shared it with, a, uh, with the gathering this past Monday night and uh, through email with, uh, with, with some men that are praying with me. But it's, it's, it's in Hebrews, and it's not what I'm preaching. It's totally off topic. But it talks about how we should be, uh, we should, we should be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then it goes on to say, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Uh, that's, that's really stuck in my mind, especially this morning. I was, I was praying about that this morning. And, I mean, I know that we all know this, but worship is, is not something that is given to us that we consume. Uh, worship is something that we offer to God. We don't, we don't come to a worship service to receive. Uh, we come to a worship service to offer to God something that he is worthy of. That's just really, that's really been, been, been stuck in me for the past week or so, and I felt like I wanted to share it with you because I feel like that we need to be a congregation that wants to pour themselves out to God, not a congregation that, that shows up so that something can be poured into us, but so that we can, we can show up and gather together and pour ourselves out to him. He's worthy of our praise, and if we go to heaven, we're going to be pouring out that praise to him for all eternity. That's, of course, is the, uh, is the topic of this series that I'm doing, the series on eternity. Uh, last week, we looked at the judgment, uh, what we call the great white throne judgment, what I, what I just refer to as the kickoff uh, to the eternal state. And so today, I'm going to continue this series. We're going to talk about heaven and hell the next two weeks. Next week is going to be, I hope, going to be a wonderful, encouraging sermon as we look at the topic of heaven. Uh, today, I'm going to talk about hell. And I have to say, I don't know a lot of people that show up for church thinking, man, I, I really would like to see a sermon on hell today. In fact, there's sometimes in my preaching that I think, man, I have a sermon today that everybody wants to hear. And there's sometimes in my preaching that I'm like, man, I have a sermon today that nobody wants to hear. And I think that this sermon today quite possibly could be something that people, people don't want to hear um, but the Lord has really shown me that this is something that we have to hear. And my temptation was to make apologies for this sermon and to say, hey, you know, hey, I'm sorry, this is harsh, whatever, but, you know, got to do it. But then I started thinking, you know, this is, this is God's word that we're talking about, and we need to feel the full weight of what God says about everything. And so I'm not going to hold anything back today. I'm going I'm to give you the, the, the fullness as, as much as I am able in about 30 minutes of what the Bible says about hell. There are only two eternal destinations. One of those destinations is the greatest place we could possibly conceive where we get to be in heaven forever with God. The worst place that we could possibly be is the second destination that we're going to talk about today from Luke chapter 16, this place called hell. There is no place worse that we could even invent or come up with that could possibly be worse than this. And this will be the place, the eternal state, where people who have not been redeemed by Christ will live without God forever. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 16. You can open your copy of God's Word with me today. Luke chapter 16 is an interesting story. Some would say it was a parable. Some would say it was a true story. I would say it doesn't really matter. The truth and the content that we find in it is the same. But it provides us, I have found that as I've looked into this story of the rich man and Lazarus, 
it, it provides for us an outline that gives us almost all the content that we have about hell in the New Testament. And so I'm really going to use it more as a springboard today to give you some, a, lot, a lot of truths about what the Bible says about hell. Stand with me if you don't mind. We're going to read this, this story, this parable, whatever you want to call it, uh, that gives us this true content about hell. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. And this is Jesus talking. And he says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, or hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus, just dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who pass uh, cannot pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, Send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone were to go to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Father, I pray that today you would warn us. You would warn us, God, just as you have repeatedly in Scripture about this place called hell. Lord, that we should do anything to avoid. Cut off our right hand, gouge out our right eye, whatever we have to do, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be people that love Jesus and serve Jesus so that we would never have to experience this state, this eternal state in hell. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, like I said, not a popular topic, one we have to hear. Uh, next week, I can't wait to share the good news of heaven. Best thing we can possibly imagine. But today, today's the bad news. Uh, today is... Well, I don't know if it's all that bad of news, but if you're saved, if you're saved, you're going to get to see today what Jesus has rescued you from. And I hope that you leave grateful because what we're going to look at today is not pleasant. What we're going to look at today is very harsh and is not anything that any of us want to experience. Now, anytime you talk about judgment, anytime you talk about hell, some people think, oh, I don't really want to talk about that. People don't need to hear about that. They need to hear what Jesus says about love. Here's the thing. The majority of the content that we have about hell is given to us by Jesus. 
Jesus talked more about hell and judgment than any other person in all of Scripture. And so we do, we're wise to listen to his warnings and learn from his content, especially this parable this morning. And so what I want to do, I want to start off just with this basic truth. If we condense this parable into a basic truth, and if we kind of gather and mob up all the teachings of the Bible and squish them together in one basic truth, this is what we end up with. Hell is basically a place where after death, people who have never been redeemed by Christ is where they will live. And they will be completely separated from God, not just for a temporary time, but for all eternity. It will never end. It will be their eternal state. And it will be a state of conscious punishment. Uh, Not like we lose consciousness forever and we're obliterated, but it will be a place of conscious punishment that never ends and where there is no possibility of salvation. There's no possibility of escape. Now, any thoughtful person would look at this and would look at this basic truth uh, that we find in this parable and in the teachings of Scripture And you would begin to kind of wrap your mind around this and think about this and think, oh man, this is really harsh, this is really bad. We need to to not talk about this too much because people will think less of us if they think we truly believe this stuff. Or what's worse, people might begin to say, you know what, maybe the Bible says something different than this. Maybe this isn't actually what the Bible teaches about the eternal state of people who don't know Jesus. And that's exactly what's happened in history. There have been these false, heretical views that have been set forward, and you still hear them today. And here's, here's four false views about hell and judgment and eternal punishment. The one is called annihilationism. This basically means that after you die, and again, these are false views, this basically means that after you die, uh, there is no eternal state. If you, don't, if you know Jesus, you go to heaven. If you don't know Jesus, you're dead and it's just over with. That's annihilationism. Or uh, the second part of that would be a non-Christian experiences hell just for a little bit and, 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 then, and then they're annihilated, then they lose consciousness. Then there's restorationism, which is another path to salvation. Restorationism is basically saying there's another way to be saved other than Jesus. What happens is, if you don't accept Jesus on earth, you go to a place called hell, and it's like a place where you're corrected and you're punished, but it's, it's, it's not eternal. You're just judged for a little bit, and then after you fully pay for your sin for a little while in hell, then you're saved. Now, this path of salvation does not include Jesus at all. And the second two are really the same. This whole second chance mentality that one day a person's going to die and God's going to dangle them over hell and say, okay, you have to repent. And uh, if you do, then you get to go to heaven. Uh, There's no such thing as that in Scripture. It basically leads to this fourth one, universalism, which says that everybody will eventually go to heaven. Everybody will eventually be saved. The only other option besides these within, within the bounds of Christianity is to actually believe what the Bible tells us and what Jesus has taught us 
about the reality of hell that is contained in that basic truth that, that I just showed you. And the first thing that we have, to, we have to point out, the first thing that has to be discovered as we look at this parable is that heaven is a real place. It is a real place. And real people have genuinely, really gone there. And there's a lot of people who will spend eternity there. Jesus tells us about this place. He calls it Hades. Now listen, there's lots of other words that are used in the Bible to describe hell. And here's, here's a few of them. They all speak of the same place. Sometimes your Bible will say hell. Sometimes it'll say Hades. Sometimes Sheol, fiery furnace, uh, Gehenna. And last week in Revelation, we looked at it, was referred to as the lake of fire. This is all speaking about the same place. It's not speaking about different places. All speaking about the same place. Unless you might would think that because we read a story or a parable of Jesus, that hell is a metaphorical place and not a real place, we have to keep in mind that Jesus mentioned hell many times. Let me give you just a sample from the book of Matthew. This is only a sample of the times that Jesus spoke about an eternal judgment and an eternal destination called hell. This does not include all the other references in the Gospels. This does not include all the other references in the New Testament and certainly not in the entire Old Testament and New Testament. This is a sample of the times that Jesus and Scripture speaks to us about hell being a real place. Now, when we look at this teaching, the first, we're, we're really the first thing that, we, that we're curious about is, okay, how can I not go there? But another question that we might have that some people have is, what is the whole purpose of hell? I mean, why does hell even exist? And it's simply this. Hell is punishment for sin. It's punishment for sin. We see this in the case of the rich man. Uh, the Bible gives us this scenario in which this rich man, uh, he had all the things of the world, but he didn't care for others. Now, we can, we can kind of see from this statement that it wasn't so much what this rich man did as what this rich man did not do. Um, I think we could probably surmise from the information that we have that this rich man was oppressive to the poor. He probably did do some things that, that he shouldn't have, but it was more of what he didn't do. He didn't have compassion on people. He was obviously caught up in his materialism and his riches. And it wasn't that he had money. That wasn't the problem. The problem was not that he was rich. Uh, his, his problems were based upon his lifestyle choices as a result of his riches and his lack of true righteousness in his heart. It wasn't so much what he did, it was what he didn't do. Now, you may have heard this before, but there are certain, there are certain sins that we can commit by actually doing them, and there's other sins that are sins because we don't do them. You, you may have heard it said there's sins of commission and there's sins of omission. Sins of commission would be the things do not murder, do not steal, do not lie. We commit them, we commit those sins, and they're wrong before God. 
But then there's other sins that we commit in failing to live up to God's standards. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there's a standard of righteousness and we fall short of that righteousness again and again and again. And I just call these, these are, these are our, our fallings and our failings. There's times that we fall into sin and do what we shouldn't do, and there's times that we fail to do the things that God has told us to do. And some people don't perceive hell as a place for punishment for sin. Some people see hell as the place where people who reject Jesus go. Can I tell you that's not totally true? Uh, rejecting Jesus obviously is sinful. In fact, we could even call it the unpardonable sin if we wanted to. But hell is not punishment only for rejecting Jesus. Hell is punishment for sin. Hell is punishment for those things that you have done that you shouldn't do and those things that you should have done that you didn't do. Hell is punishment for all that lying and stealing and cheating and fornicating and drunkenness and self-righteousness and rebellion and law-breaking and laziness and gossip and unforgiveness and idolatry. But also punishment for you not being the person that you need to be, for you not worshiping God like you should, for you not being righteous, for you not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, for you falling short of what you should be. And a lot of people look at that and they think, ah, that's not me. I don't, I don't deserve that. Well, Jesus thought that you did. That's why he died on the cross for your sin. If, if, you, don't, if, if, you, can't, if you can't see the severity of your sin by looking at what Jesus did on the cross then you've missed the whole point of the cross. The cross was horrible and terrible and bad for Christ. Why was it so bad for him? Because of your sin. Because your sin was, was, was so bad and it needed punishment. And not just a little bit of punishment. The Bible shows us that hell is, is, is harsh and severe punishment. In verse 24 through verse 28, the Bible pictures it as a place of unquenchable fire and torment. This rich man, he doesn't sit back and say, you know, I don't really like it here too much. I mean, I don't have all the comforts that I want. Now, Lazarus and Abraham, y'all look like y'all doing pretty good. Uh, I would really like to come over there with you. That's a little better than over here. But we, we don't get the sense that he was just in a little bit of pain. We don't get the sense that this rich man and other people like him that are in hell are a little bit uncomfortable. What we get is the sense that he is in anguish, that he is in torment, and that he desperately wants to escape this flame. Unless you think this is the only time that hell is spoken of this way, here's some verses in Mark chapter 9 and in Matthew chapter 25 that talk about unquenchable fire. Here's some verses from Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew chapter 13, excuse, chapter 13, verse 41, that talk about a fiery furnace, that talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, here's a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 3 and Jude chapter 1 
that also talk about fire and burning. Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 21. I mean, on and on, the images are presented to us in Scripture about anguish and torment and burning and fire. And this is, this image of what hell is, is one of the most repetitive phrases we find in all of Scripture. One of the most repeated truths that we have is this idea of hell being torment and, uh, and, and being in flame. And one of the worst things about this is not just that you just get burned. You know, when you get burned, it singes you and it's kind of over. The Bible speaks of hell being eternal. In these, verses, in these verses, it talks about this chasm. Abraham tells, tells, uh, tells the rich man, he says, hey, there's a chasm between us. Because this rich man, he's like, please go tell my brothers. He says, please tell Lazarus just to come dip his finger in water and just cool my tongue. Just give me a little bit of relief from this. But Abraham, uh, Abraham tells him, he says, look, there's a chasm. And look, we, we don't understand all of this. We don't fully grasp this chasm. But what we do know, it, it, it is an uncrossable border. It is an impenetrable, eternal separation between, between uh, the rich man and people in hell and Abraham and God and everyone else. And I think that, obviously, we should kind of expect this. If we have separation from God while we're on the earth, shouldn't we expect that there would be separation from God in eternity? If we have no relationship with Jesus while we're here on this planet, do we really expect that in eternity that we're going to somehow have an eternal relationship with him? And I find that most people do not believe that they will be in hell. Most people do not believe that this is their eternal destination. In fact, it's obvious that hell will take people by surprise. This rich man in verse 27 through verse 31, it's, it's, it's like he, he looks surprised. He says, hey, go warn my brothers. Go tell them about this place. This implies that he himself had no idea about this place, and his brothers don't either. I mean, we don't get the, we don't get the picture that this rich man and his five brothers are sitting around while they're alive, eating and drinking and eating sumptuously and having fun and being merry, saying, well, let's just enjoy it while we can because we know that we're all going to be in hell one day. We don't get the picture of them knowing and understanding what lies ahead and certainly not picturing themselves. This rich man was probably well-respected. Uh, he was probably well-to-do. People looked at him and said, well, I'd like to be like him. He had no idea that this is what awaited him, and he wanted his brothers to know. You know, people in hell want people to know about hell. I don't know that we see a stronger urgency for evangelism than we see right here with this rich man 
who is himself in hell and is calling on heaven and anyone in heaven, send Lazarus, send the poor man, send anybody to go and to tell my brothers and to tell my family not to be here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through verse 23, shows that there's also, uh, Jesus gives another example of people who are going to be surprised whenever they don't, they're not allowed in heaven. This is the scariest verse in the whole Bible. Jesus says, on that day, on the day of judgment, many will say, Lord, did we not believe in you? Did we not attend church? God, did we not go on mission trips? Lord, did we not push back against evil? God, did we, did we not do all of these things? Did we not prophesy and cast out demons? Did we not do mighty works? Lord, we helped the poor. God, I was a good person. I was religious. And Jesus will say to them on that day, on that day of judgment, I declare to you, I never knew you. Now, can you imagine being these people to say, well, well, no, wait a minute. I, I, I read the Bible, and I prayed, and I tried to be a good person, and I was religious. How, how can you say that? I never knew you. You see, it's not about being religious. It's about genuinely knowing Jesus in your heart. It's about genuinely having a relationship with him. And you say, well, hell is bad, okay, but maybe... Maybe a lot of people will get off the hook. Maybe only the worst of the worst will be there. Maybe there won't be a lot of people there. Well, not according to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, he says, listen, you got to enter by the narrow gate because the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. How many is many? I mean, how many people do we really believe are either in hell or who are on their way to hell? Because I don't know about you, but I would like to say, well, it's only the worst of the worst. It's only the Hitlers of the world. It's only the mass murderers of the world. It's only the worst of the worst. You know, the, the, uh, the, the, the people have done the, the ho most horrible things that society rejects. But I think many is going to include some of these religious people that Jesus spoke to that said we did all these mighty works. But I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, and this, this is speculation, how many is many? Well, let's take a stab at it. Let's guess. Here's, here's some stats for you. Scientists believe that there have been approximately 100 and 17 billion people that have ever lived. And our population is booming like compound interest. In 1800, there were only a billion people on earth. Only 100 years later, in 1900, there was 1 1.6 billion. And in the year 2000, look at how that number grew. In the year 2000, 6.1 billion people in 2023 ate billion people on the earth. I remember at my last church 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when we would talk about the number of people in the world that we needed to reach, I was saying 7 billion people. And then all of a sudden, now here we look up, just 10 years later, we have 8 billion people. Out of these 8 billion people, you go and research any reliable source. 
any reliable evangelistic source. Go to the International Mission Board, uh, Joshua Project, all these different places, and a high guess, a high estimation is that currently, even though there's 8 billion people in the world, there's only about 2 billion people that have been legitimately born again. Now, if we were just to use that math, in a day whenever there are missionaries everywhere and, I mean, gospels going out over airwaves and all the mission and global evangelistic efforts that we have going on right now and we've only been able to reach 2 billion out of 8 billion, how many of the 117 billion people have died? About 110 billion people have lived and died on the earth. And if we just guesstimate, there's eight billion alive now, y'all following me? I'm not good at math, I'm from Mississippi. Eight billion alive now, only two billion are Christian. Let's just say that same percentage holds true for the 110 billion that have already died. A guess would be 90 billion people. 90 billion people have walked the wide road to destruction and they fell asleep while they were doing it. They paid no attention to the signs. They never stopped to genuinely wonder, which way am I on? Or they deceived themselves prepared to stand before the judgment saying, Lord, did I do this in your name? Did I do that in your name? I wonder how many people are just casually moving along in life, coming to church, doing religious things, living just a normal life, but yet are plunging headlong in what the Bible refers to as the worst possible thing imaginable. Every two seconds, every, every one second, two people die. Every second, every time I snap, two people die. You know how many people that is? That's a, that is 170,000 people each year. That is, uh, uh, excuse me, 170,000 people every day, 9 million people every year die. How many of those 9 million people are going to an undesirable place. How many, of those, how many of those nine million people do we believe are going into eternity? Now listen, this is not good news, is it? This is, this is not good news at all. Some of you are sitting there saying, man, I should have skipped today. All this hail and fire and brimstone and burning and people being condemned. This is not good news. But this, this is true. And if it's true, then we need to be warned. We, we need to pay attention. And so the thing that we have to ask ourselves is how do I escape this? How, how do I escape from knowing that I'm going to be among those billions of people that slip into eternity and are separated from God. Because listen, it doesn't matter how bad it is. I mean, bad is bad. We need to ask ourselves, how do I make 100% sure 
that I'm going to that, that I'm going to heaven. It can't be a hope so. There's too much to risk to leave any of that to chance. The reality of hell is, is, is too risky, it's too horrible, it's too terrible to say, oh, well, I, I just, I hope I'm going to make it. I hope I've done enough. Let me, just, let me just dash your hopes. You have not done enough. And here's the worst news. If you started right now, and you said, I'm going to try as hard as I can, and I'm going to be as religious as I can, and I'm going to be as good of a person as I can. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go to church every time the doors are open. I'm going to give away all of my stuff to people. who I'm going I'm to try as hard as I human, as humanly, as hard as I can between now and the day that I die. It still wouldn't work. It still wouldn't work. Because you've already sinned. And here's the, here's the bad, even worse news. You're, 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 you're going to sin again. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. So how do I escape? If I'm a sinner, and everybody that's ever lived is a sinner, and everybody deserves eternity in hell, how do I escape? And here's the sad part. We, we know the answer. We know it in our mind, but for some people, they haven't surrendered their heart to Jesus. Look at this verse in Colossians. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Have you come alive to God? That's my question for you. Have you come alive to God? I don't care what you believe. I don't, I, don't, I don't care how good you are. I don't care how religious you are. That is, that, that, is, that, is, that is not the answer. Have you come alive to God? Do you love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you, do you have something in you that is just driven towards the things of God? Have you truly come alive to him? Or are you just acting religious? Is, 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 is God alive inside of you? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Because you see, when that's true, when, you, when, when that's true, you don't have to hope. You just know it. You, you just know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Are you alive to him? Because the Bible says if you're not, you were dead in trespasses and sins. But God did something. You see, he did something you could not do. In all of your attempt at goodness... In all of your attempt at trying to be, the, be a good person or be a righteous person or be a religious person and stop doing bad things, God did something you couldn't do for yourself. He made you alive on the inside. Do you know you can, you know you can be alive in this world and still be dead spiritually? You can be completely alive and healthy and still be dead spiritually on the inside. This is speaking about something that God does inside of you where he raises you from the dead while you're here on the earth. He raises you from the dead. That's what God does. He raises the dead. Have you been raised? Jesus said you must be born again. Have you been raised? Because if you have... Here's the good news. If you have, you are forgiven. Amen? 
You're forgiven. That record of debt that we talked about last week, the books that are going to be opened in the day of judgment, that record of debt has been canceled. If Jesus has raised you from the dead, if it's a reality in you right now and you have been forgiven, then one day when you get into eternity, there is no record of, there is no record of your sin. As far as the east is from the west, it is absolutely gone. And God did something with it that was, even, that, that was just beautiful. God nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. Jesus was placed on the cross for you. That punishment in hell that you deserve was placed upon Christ when he was on the cross. You have been rescued if you know Jesus as Savior. God has dealt violently with your sin. When I think about the nails that went into Jesus' hands and feet, when I think about the crown of thorns that was smashed upon his head, when I think about the spear that went in his side, I think about the whippings and the beating and the mocking and the bruising. God dealt with your sin in that way. He put it all on Jesus because Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. God took the weight of all of our sin and he placed it on Christ so that you and I can escape hell and live with God for all eternity. Are you alive to God? Let's stand. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Would you come alive today? See, you can't do it on your own. You can't make any type of good decision that would somehow bring you to life. God has to do it. You need to ask him. You need to ask him for it. You need to say, Jesus, raise the dead. I am dead in trespasses and sin. Raise me, Lord. Give me a desire and a passion and a drive for the things of God. Do it inside of me. Save me. Say it. Say, Jesus, save me. Say, Jesus, save me. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. Say, Jesus, I know that I can't do anything to earn heaven. Jesus, save me. Come to the altar and pray if you like. We're going to sing in just a moment. Even when we sing, if you want to still be praying, you talk to the Lord right now. Get this right. This has to be right in your life. It's too much at stake.